You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. I love this church. <laughs> good morning, good morning, and welcome. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're incredibly grateful to have each and every one of you with us. Thanks for braving the elements. Come on. Really. Like, I guess we could say, like, 40% of the time they get it right every time. I think we could say it that way. Yeah. So, Hey, seriously, we are glad you're here, uh, especially if this is your first time with us today. I've met several guests, and I want to say thanks for accepting the invitation, or maybe you saw something online, whatever it was that caused you to come this direction. I just want to say thanks for being here with us. Uh, I said this last week, and you'll hear me say it in the future as well. Uh, we have more and more guests coming to be with us, and, and I'm biased. I hope that this place becomes home for you. I hope that you see how special this place is and that God is telling an unrealistic story here, and I hope that that like, involves your story, but at the same, in the same breath, I want to let you know that we're not the Holy Spirit, and that means we want you just to end up wherever God knows that you're going to be the most effective for his kingdom, and so if that's not here, then that's okay, but our hope is that you would get connected to a local, a local body of believers and get involved. Uh, really quick, though, if it is your first time, I do just have one small thing. I'm going to be at guest services, which is right outside those doors at the end of our time together. If you'll just stop by, I'd love to say hi and uh, answer any questions that you might have. Well, hey, speaking of uh, questions, uh, it's not uncommon for us to get questions around here about like why we do church the way that we do it. In other words, kind of like our philosophy of ministry, why we've chosen to do some things when we've chosen not to do other things. And one of the things that has been asked before in the past is, uh, why don't we do the greeting time? And so if you come from a traditional background in a church, you know that like, there's a point in the service where it's like, hey, stand up and greet those around you. Uh, it's actually very intentional why we don't do that. Let me give you some background information here. Uh, within the church world, at times they will do surveys, and they'll include many, many, many churches in those surveys, and they'll ask questions like, hey, what's the thing that you like the least about church? And so one of the answers, uh, one of the top answers is actually the greeting time. And that could be for several reasons. It might be because uh, some people are like, it just kind of feels forced. Like, I don't really feel like it's genuine. You're kind of telling us to do something. Uh, other people uh, would say that it's like, there's, an oper- there's a possibility for someone to get overlooked. And so even though you're telling people to greet one another, what about the people that don't get, what if nobody says hi to you? So now you've just created a, a very tense moment for someone uh, that could potentially have gotten overlooked. And the third reason why we don't do this is because of the introverts in the room. And I think... Uh, This picture probably describes it better than I ever could. Normal heartbeat, (laughs) decreased heartbeat, stand up and greet the people around you. This is what your heart feels like. Any any introverts in the room, like, yes, you feel that right there, right? So that's one reason why we don't do it. Another question that uh, we've gotten before has to do with communion. And actually, this is a question that we'll get from people who ever, before they ever come to our church, and they'll want to know like how we do communion. Why? Because it's a very important part of their worship, which it should be. And so they'll ask us uh, you know, why we do things a certain way and if we do this or if we don't do that. And sometimes that's a decision maker for them of wh- whether or not they're going to come and be a part of Trace Church. So what I'd like to do today is actually I want to focus in on that. Uh, I want to focus in on the importance of communion. And I'm not just going to talk about like why we do it the way that we do it. And it's likely that uh, if you came from a more traditional background of church somewhere, that the way we do communion is probably foreign to you, that it's different. You probably haven't done it that way before. And believe it or not, it's a very intentional way. Like why we do communion the way we do it is actually intentional. I'll talk about that a little bit. But more than anything, what I'd like to do is just emphasize the importance of it and why it is that we have decided to do it each and every week. And so to do that, we're going to be looking at a specific 
letter in the Bible. It's when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, it's his first letter. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up or turn them on and find your way over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now we'll be bouncing around with some different texts, but this will be the main passage that we'll be coming back to. So 1 Corinthians 11, again, open your Bibles, turn them on, whatever that looks like, and find your way over to there. Now, many would probably argue that one of the most significant aspects of communion, of the Lord's table, is being able to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus. And I would agree with that, that that's an incredibly important part of why we do communion. Uh, when we come back to the Lord's table and we take a piece of bread that represents his body and dip it in a cup of juice that represents his blood, we remember the resurrected Lord. And that's, that's one of the main reasons why we should do that, right? I mean, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all we're doing right now is a waste of time. And I need to find another job. And so uh, some people probably uh, that haven't grown up in the church often think that like we had the Bible first and then everything else came afterwards. Friends, we have our Bibles in our hands today because the resurrection actually happened. It was because of the resurrection and specifically the eyewitnesses of the resurrection that caused some people to sit down and inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote out what they saw and wrote letters and uh, went around and planted churches like the Apostle Paul. The resurrection was a historical moment in the history of church that without it, it's like the most pivotal moment. So yes, we absolutely should focus on the resurrection. Now let me do something for you because sometimes I'll talk with people that still want to argue the point of Jesus being an actual person. That it's like, hey, how do you know he actually existed? You go back into history, like, how do you know Jesus is actually a real person? He walked on earth. Now, really quick, I'll give you some side notes here. Uh, you can go back and read Roman history, Greek history, Jewish history, and you'll find this guy named Jesus outside of Christian literature uh, that walked this earth, claimed to be the Messiah, and was crucified by Pontius Pilate. All of that is historical fact. Now, one of the things that I like to do for people, because it seems like so far removed, it's like, oh man, 2,000 years ago, is to bring it to life for them a little bit more. So let me do this for you this morning. Really quick, let me have some crowd participation. How many of you have known someone to live to be 100 years old? Just raise your hand. Okay, most of you have known someone that has lived to be 100 years old. Take that person and go back to the very beginning of their life. So from 100 to when they were born. Now, during that point that they were born, find someone else who was 100 years old and do that again. Now, do that 20 times, just 20 times, and this would be Jesus. Just 20 people. If you start from 100, go to the beginning of their life, find someone else at that moment that's 100, go back to the beginning of their life, 20 people into that, and this would be Jesus. It's not that far removed from us. And so, yes, the resurrection... The resurrection should be a really clear point of focus for us. Every single time we go back to the Lord's table. Now, somebody may be in here right now. It's like, Aaron, it's, it's Christmas. Like, you're talking about Easter stuff. Like, why aren't we talking about the birth of Jesus? Why are you talking about the resurrection of Jesus? I want to show you something this week uh, that I saw this week that really helped to reframe my focus when I come back to the Lord's table each and every week. It's this picture right here. It shows Mary, obviously, with the newborn baby Jesus, and then Mary with Jesus after he comes off the cross. And I want to let you know this morning that without this, we wouldn't have this, and without this, we wouldn't have this. In other words, without God incarnate, and that's just kind of a fancy word, the incarnation of God is God coming down from heaven, taking on flesh, and living a perfect life. It's God in the flesh, right? Emmanuel, God with us. 
This is what this picture represents. And without God coming to this earth in the flesh, because he was the only one that was going to be able to live a perfect life. We talked about this in the gospel series. If it wasn't for God coming and taking on flesh and living a perfect life, then this would mean nothing. Because the only reason this sacrifice of Jesus going to the cross on our behalf, the only reason that that made a way for the atoning of our sins and for forgiveness to happen and for us to receive God's grace is because between this point and this point, he lived a completely perfect life. So we could probably also conclude that every week when we come back to the Lord's table and we celebrate with communion, that we think about the incarnation as well as the resurrection. But the more I thought about it this week, I also thought, you know what, there's actually three things Three things that I think would be incredibly valuable for us and incredibly healthy for us to think about every time we come back to the Lord's table, every time we take communion. Yes, it's the incarnation, and yes, it's the resurrection, but it's also the ascension, something that we actually don't talk a whole lot about in church. And so you may be wondering, like, why is the ascension of Jesus, which is just when he went from earth, after he was resurrected, he was on earth for another 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven. Why is that so important that we focus on that? Like, why should that be a point of focus or reflection when we take communion each week. It's because when this happened, it made the way for the Holy Spirit to come here. God with us and God with us and in us. Let me show you what Jesus says on this in John chapter 16. He says this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, which is also the Holy Spirit, will not even come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jump down to verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So every week, I think it would be an incredibly healthy thing, an incredibly healthy posture for us when we come back to communion to think about the incarnation. God came to us as a baby in the flesh, to think about the resurrection. He gave up his life, his perfect life, the only perfect sacrifice that could ever be made because he was God incarnate. And to think about the ascension because Jesus says, when I go back to the Father, when I go back to the Father, I'm going to make a way for the Holy Spirit, which is really me coming to live in your life, to do my will in and through your life. I got a glimpse of that, church, this past Friday Uh, when we threw our first annual Jesus party. When I say I got a glimpse of it, I got to see people. And more than that, I got to see Jesus living in and through people as we threw a party for kids and families with special needs in our community. For every one of you that served to make that a reality, I just want to applaud you right now. Thank you so much for helping us pull that off. This is going to become an annual event for us. If you weren't here the week that I set this up, uh, I looked at the passage from Jesus when he was visiting with a Pharisee, and he kind of noticed that all the people that are supposed to be somebodies had the kind of special seats uh, around the table. And he says, you know what? When you throw a party, not if, but when you throw a party, invite the least of these, invite the cripple and the lame and the people who can't hear and the poor, and invite people that can't repay you. And so that's why we call this a Jesus party. It's something we're going to do every single year to partner with the special needs community Uh, our brothers and sisters in the special needs community in the city. And so each and every year as we start talking about this and building up for it, my hope is that everybody in this church wants to be a part of it because I really do believe that we represent the heart of God, that it's literally Jesus living through us when we make ourselves available to do things like this.
I heard an acronym here recently of joy. And for those of you that are just joining us, we've been in a series called Joy Bomb. And I really like this, and it really reflects on what we're talking about today. Joy. Jesus over you. See, really, that's what we're doing every time we come back to the communion table. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is over us. That yes, it's, it sounds good on paper, right? I mean, it's not, Jesus can't just be a good idea. He has to be the Lord and leader of our life. And so when we come back and we're remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering the incarnation and the resurrection and the ascension, we're remembering those things. We're remembering that, God, your rightful place is in front of me, not beside me, not behind me. Your rightful place is in front of me. That's why the Hebrews author says, fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, he's got to be in front of us. He's got to be leading us. He's got to be the Lord of us. And every week that we come to the table of communion, we should be reminded of that. Because if we're honest, which we should be, at least on Sunday, as a joke, uh, we like to lead our own lives, don't we? We like to do our own thing. I'll be the first to admit, I don't like authority. That's why I'm the boss here. Uh, I don't like people telling me what to do. I need to be reminded every week, if not every day, God, you're the leader of this, this church, my life, my family. You're my Lord. Everything that, I sh everything that I do, my motivation in everything I do should be a reflection of you. And I know, I, I know that's not true. So I'm also reminded in that moment of his grace that no matter how many times I screw this up, that I'll still receive his grace. That's how big his love is. We should be reminded of that every time we come back to communion. Now, one of the things that we're going to see the Apostle Paul do is he's going to describe some, uh, for, for us some very practical uh, concepts when it comes to communion and how we're supposed to do it. And the reason we even have this is because he needed to write this church in Corinth, one of the churches that he planted. After the Apostle Paul became a believer, he kind of traveled around what would be current-day Turkey, and he planted all these different churches. And then after he planted those churches, he would write them letters. Now, the church in Corinth, listen to me, it was jacked up, and you need to know this. Like, it would be great <laughs> for, like, reality TV today. Uh, it's like the church gone wild or something like that. And so... Uh, he writes them a letter, and again, for those of you that study your Bibles, which hopefully each and every one of you do, uh, as we study your Bible, when you get to that letter, you need to know it's a reprimand. The only reason Paul is even writing that letter is because they're jacking so many things up, like they're getting so many things wrong. You've heard me use the statement uh, probably at times in a leadership circle, everything rises and falls on leadership. This, had, this church had really poor leadership, and so they were messing up all kinds of things, so he sits down and he writes them a letter. It's a reprimand. And one of the things that he points out in this letter is how they're experiencing and how they're, how they're doing communion. And so one of the things that he points out is the fact that they had all these rich people that were a part of the church, and they had poor people that were a part of the church. And so the rich people oftentimes would bring food with them and actually eat during the gathering. And then there were poor people there, but they weren't even sharing any of their food with the poor people. And in the midst of somewhere in the midst of that, they were trying to take communion. And Paul's like, how are you doing this? Like, how does this fit? How can you come back and take communion when you got over here? You know, you've, you've heard the clear mandates of how we're supposed to take care of each other's needs, but you're over here, you're like feeding yourself while people in the same room are starving to death. And then you come to the Lord's table in communion? Give me a break. And so he actually tells them, it's like, hey, just maybe an easy solution to this is stop bringing food to the church. And he literally tells, like, just eat at home, eat before you come. But then he gives to some practical examples of what communion is supposed to look like. 
And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 23, here's what the Apostle Paul says. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave, some, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's pause here. I'll make a confession to you this morning that um, I used to be in kind of one of those camps, I don't know what you would call it, where I would argue it's like the, the elements of communion aren't important, right? Whether it's bread or crackers or juice or wine or whatever, it's chips and salsa, like it doesn't matter as long as you know why you're doing what you're doing. Now I've kind of come back around to this conversation to see it differently, because I do think the elements, I don't, want to make them, I don't want to make this legalistic, but I do think the elements, what we use, are important. Here Jesus says, take my body, take this bread, representing his body. And if you jump over to John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Refers to himself as bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry again. And so if you go back to the context in which Jesus is speaking, bread very much uh, or in many instances, was their, like what, what allowed them to live. It was the sustenance of life. It was the most easy, readily, most available type of food that they could get their hands on. And so they would have seen bread as sustenance for life. And so Jesus says, I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. And so again, if you've been coming to Trace for a while, you know that we use crackers, which I guess is similar to bread. If you go back then, it would have been unleavened bread, which would have been similar to a cracker. And so I believe the elements do matter, but at the same time, I, I, I've got to be careful because I don't, I don't want to be legalistic about it. But I believe when you go to the table of communion every week, you remember that Jesus is saying, I am the sustenance. You take that cracker. I am the sustenance of your life. I am the bread of life. I think that's important. Another thing I want to point out right here is this idea of doing this in remembrance of me. Now, this is where we would differ from our Catholic brothers and sisters on the doctrine of substantiation. Transubstantiation, that's a hard one to get out. Uh, transubstantiation says that when the priest blesses the elements of communion, the bread and the wine, when he blesses them, they literally become the body of Christ and literally become the blood of Christ. And we would differ on that doctrine. Um, almost every other church outside of the Catholic Church would probably differ on that doctrine because, again, here's an, ex here's an opportunity for Paul to point that out, but he doesn't. When he's describing what communion is, he's just saying, do this in remembrance these elements represent something. They don't actually turn into something. And so we believe here at Trace that these elements are representing something. The bread represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the blood of Christ, but they don't literally turn into those things. All right, let me keep going. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Now let's pause there. Right here, Paul makes it really clear that communion is only supposed to be done for believers, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus. In John's gospel in chapter 1, it says that when we put our faith in Christ, we earn the right to become children of God, which means people that haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus aren't considered a child of God. Just telling you what God's word says. And so for those of us that have made that decision, uh, this is for us. The communion table is for us. Now let me pause there and talk to anybody in here that is an unbeliever. Anybody in here that's not yet made that decision, listen to me. It's incredibly important that you know that this church is for you. When we set out to plan a new church, this church is just a little over three years old, one of our primary focuses, if not our primary focus, 
was to reach people that didn't know God, specifically people that were far from God, people that had been burnt by the church, been burnt by Christians. You were in my mind when we planted this church, and you were also in the mind of Jesus. Jesus makes this crystal clear when he's given this parable about a lost sheep, and he says, I'll leave the 99 sheep that are safe to go after the one sheep that has drifted away, that person that doesn't know me yet. Can I say it different this morning, church? I will leave 99 saved people. I will leave 99 churched people to go after that one person that was unchurched. May that be the reflection, our heartbeat of this church from now into eternity. And so if you're here today, I don't want you to hear this as like you're feeling isolated. You don't get to be a part of something. No, 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 no. This church is for you. This church is for you. But, but in the same breath, can I encourage those of you that are inviting your lost friends, your unchurched friends, and my hope is that you are inviting them into this place. It would probably be wise for you to have a conversation with them on the front end, letting them know. It's like, hey, there's going to be a time where we, <clears throat> excuse me, where we do this thing called communion. Um, that's not something that you need to participate in, and so there's going to be some other things that you can do. And again, this is why we intentionally do communion the way we do. We ask those of you that are believers to get up and come to the tables, and we give other people opportunities to go write prayer requests or sit in their seat and reflect on what's happening. And so, again, once again, very intentional in how we do it. But communion, the Lord's Supper, is for God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed by blood. Again, if you go back to the series that we did a few weeks ago called The Gospel, we remember it from Hebrews that blood is significant here, right? Without the spilling of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He says, do this, once again, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you drink, as often as you drink it. Another point of contention between churches is the frequency in which communion should be given. Uh, if you grew up in the Baptist church like me, it was once a quarter. Uh, if you grew up in other churches, it may have been once every six months or once a month. Uh, still other churches like ours, we do it every single week. And here's one of those points I would say, uh, this really is left up, based on what we see Paul say here, this really is left up to each individual church and their leadership to discern and to use wisdom on how often they think they should do it. This should not be a, a category, this should not be something that divides us. And so we've chosen here at Trace to do it every single week because we want to have as many opportunities to give you to come back to the cross as we possibly can. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When we come back to the Lord's table every week, we're reminding ourselves that the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to us. And so what are those elements? It says when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, again, I don't think we need to be legalistic about it. Some form of bread or crackers would be healthy, would be beneficial. And then when it comes to the cup, is it juice or is it wine? I've actually had somebody tell me before, hey, if you serve wine for communion, we're not coming to this church. Just so you know, uh, we're serving wine today. And so if that's a, a deciding factor for you, I guess I should say it's been good knowing you, like, appreciate, love you, love you, and we don't want to use this as a, as a point of division. Uh, the argument could be made, and it says even in this passage that wine was what was used. We do see Jesus talk about this in Matthew 26. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It was likely that this was fermented wine. Uh, probably not fermented very much, but nonetheless, it was wine. Now, if you're new here, we've done grape juice um, from the very beginning of our church. Today is the first time that we're going to serve wine, but we want to give you the opportunity to make a choice. 
And so for some of you, this could be more sentimental. It's like, hey, that's how I grew up doing this. And so we've got two communion tables down front where there's going to be a loaf of bread where you can come and take a piece of that bread. And there's going to be a cup of wine where you can take a drink and then it'll be cleaned uh, for the next person. And so if you want to participate in celebrating communion that way today, we invite you to do that. If that's not your thing, continue to encourage you to go to the other four stations around the room. But man, church, we got to stop we got to stop making things divisive. we got to stop drawing lines where Jesus didn't draw lines. Now, I want to conclude by reading what Paul says next. And in this passage, he's going to warn us. And my hope for this entire morning, church, is to give you a, a deeper appreciation and a deeper focus and a more examined heart and mind every time before you take communion. And Paul's going to show you why that's important. Here he he says in verse 27, So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself, examine yourself, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Strong words. Now, let me just be really clear. This is not a, you're not going to lose your salvation. You're not going to, you know, nothing bad's going to happen to you necessarily. I'm going to read a statement here in a minute that's really interesting. But it does say that when we don't take the Lord's Supper seriously, when we don't take time to reflect, we're bringing God's judgment on us because we're forgetting what he has done in order for us to be forgiven. The extent that he went to, yes, God's grace is free, but hopefully you know it was not cheap. It was not cheap. It came on the other end of a Roman crucifixion. And so we reflect on it, and we pray, and we examine ourselves, and we invite God, God, examine my heart. Test me. And so if we don't come to the Lord's table without that examination, God's saying, you're sinning against what I've done for you. Words that we need to take heed. Verse 30, last verse. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Now, I don't claim to know exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here, but I have to point out the fact that this statement is really curious to me, or very interesting to me. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. It's as if when we don't take the Lord's Supper serious enough, when we don't examine ourselves, when we don't remember what Christ has done, when we don't think about the incarnation and the resurrection and the ascension, and we don't remember the extent that Christ had to go through for the, so that our sins could be forgiven, it does something to our bodies. Now, let me say this in a positive way because I've been reflecting on that statement this week and I'm like, man, I, I want to be careful teaching that because I don't know exactly what Paul is referring to there, but let me talk about it. Let's flip the flow there. When we do come to communion and we reflect and we examine and we have the right motives and we test our motives and we come back with appreciation and with reverence and we thank God and we praise God for what he has done for us in that moment as we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, I believe that fills us once again with with hope. I believe that fills our soul. And when that happens, is it possible that something physiological also happens to make us more healthy? I would say, yeah. I believe hope has a physiological aspect to it as well. So friends, as we come back to the Lord's table this morning, can I encourage you, don't rush through this. Don't ever rush through this again. And I'll repent in front of you right now to let you know that I acknowledge that at times I have not led us into this moment with enough reverence. I acknowledge that this morning. But every time from this point moving forward, may this not be something that we rush through 
just like we rush through this season, the Christmas season should, should be the time where we pause and we reflect and we're in awe and wonder that the fact that God came to this earth in human flesh, but yet we're just moving from one party to the next and presence and chaos and craziness. And we just push our way through this season. Man, I hope that that's never the case for how we pursue communion. God, I'm desperate for you should be our posture. God, I'm lost without you. God, in this moment, I'm remembering that I'm forgiven. And not only am I forgiven, but because of what Christ accomplished through the resurrection, that I now have fellowship with you as my heavenly father. You see, friends, communion is taking hold of something that has already taken hold of you. Let me pray for us. Father, may this be a pivotal moment in each of our lives that causes us to reflect with more reverence moving forward on what we're doing each and every week when we come back to the Lord's Supper, when we come back to your supper, the Lord's table. And as we remember by taking these elements, Father, let us be reminded, yes, of the resurrection, but also of the incarnation, also of the ascension, also of the fact that your Holy Spirit now lives within us, that we became the temple that, that you now reside in because Jesus ascended into heaven and freed the way for his Holy Spirit to come and live in us. And so, God, I pray that this does just cause us to be more sincere as we come back to this every single week. And so, God, we invite you into this moment right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, uh, we've got a few different things for you to do this morning as we respond and we reflect. We've got some people that will be coming up that will be standing beside these tables to allow you to take a piece of bread and then take a drink from the cup, which is wine. You should know that. And if that's how you want to celebrate with communion this morning, we invite you to do that. If that's not your thing, we also have these four stations that we have each week around the room that have some crackers that represent the body of Jesus and some juice, some grape juice that represents his blood. And we remember and we reflect and we're reverent and we examine our hearts and we examine our minds. And if you need to, even invite the healing of the Holy Spirit into your life in this moment because there's something about communion that Paul says brings health to our bones. And so this is also an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you, you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. We're gonna sing through another song here in just a moment. I would encourage you to stay in your seat, reflect on that. Or if you wanna get something off your chest, we've got two black tables in the back where you can go and write out a prayer request, something that maybe you just need to get off your shoulders. And if you're ready to make that decision, if you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a little connection card in front of you. If you just would take the time and fill that out and just say, hey, I'd like to talk more about what it means to put my faith in Christ. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'll encourage you to respond and reflect however you see fit, but can I encourage you to do something maybe that you haven't done before in the past? Take a moment. Before you stand up and come forward, take a moment. Take a moment and examine your heart and your mind. And my, again, my biggest prayer is that from this day forward, communion will be different for you. Let me pray. Father, not only do we want to examine ourselves, but God, we're asking that you would examine us. Would you point out anything in our lives that is not pleasing to you? God, in this moment, would you also remind us of your grace that no matter how many times we mess up, that your grace is sufficient and that it covers every one of our blemishes, every one of our problems, every one of our sins. And so, God, we come back to your table today and we're being reminded of what you've done for us 
We're being reminded that you have a mission for us, that you've called us to a higher level of purpose. And so, God, we invite you into this moment to point out whatever it is that you need to point out to us. But, God, right now we also just want to worship you. We want to say thank you for all you've done. God, thank you for your son, the sacrifice. Thank you for coming into this world as a baby, Emmanuel. You are actually with us, God, taking on human flesh. God, it's really hard for our minds to wrap around it. But, God, we thank you and we worship you for it. And, Father, for the ascension, God, we thank you and we give you praise for allowing Christ to come back into your presence once again, freeing up the way of the Holy Spirit to come and take residence in our lives so that you can work in and through us to accomplish your purposes and will. So God, we invite you into this moment. May it be a thin space. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to respond.